Right, all right. Am I on? Check. Yes, where we are. Hey, I, I know many of you know this already, but just seeing Andrew up here doing announcements, I want to let you know that uh, Andrew is coming on staff in September full-time as a pastor, so... Yep. Very excited about that. So, uh, Hey, so we're, we've been in this series. You can see there are major messages from the minor prophets. And in the Old uh, Testament, there are 12 minor prophets. We're going to be looking at six of them. And today, we're going to be looking at Joel. And you can see the picture there. That's an actual selfie from his Instagram account. That's what Joel looked like. Pretty intense guy. Uh, but Joel, uh, <laughs> Joel is a short book, has uh, three chapters. And uh, what I found helpful in reading through Joel is that the genre, the writing genre is called prophetic poetry. And that was super helpful because if you've read Joel and really some of the other minor prophets, many of the other minor prophets, uh, sometimes the language can be, it's both very creative, but it's also very confusing. And uh, so that's a helpful little note. And Joel is a uh, unique book from many of the other uh, uh, minor prophets in that it is not clear uh, what uh, time period this book was written. You know, like what was going on at the time that Joel wrote this uh, as far as the date? And I read probably six or seven different commentaries and they couldn't agree on when this book was, uh, when Joel wrote this short book. And something that I, that I find uh, uh, helpful when you study the Bible, especially when you study pre uh, the history of Israel, Old Testament, pre-Jesus, uh, that there, typically it's broken down into three periods in, in Israel's history. You have the, what's called the pre-exilic period, which is 586 BC and later. And then you have the period of, of exile, right? When, when the uh, 586 BC, when the Babylonians come in, they sack Jerusalem, they burn down the temple, they, uh, they take all, these, all the Israelites to, into exile in, in the nation of, of Babylon. They take them all to Babylon. And then you have what's called the post-exilic period, which is 516 and earlier, and that's the time where they go back to Jerusalem and they, re, uh, they rebuild the temple. So most of the commentaries that I did read agreed that this book, the book of Joel, was written in the post-exilic period. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, think uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And they say that because Joel, uh, in, his, in, his, in his book, Joel mentions the, uh, Jerusalem. He mentions the temple. Uh, but, but Joel is, again, quite unique. He's not the only minor prophet, but he, he doesn't mention a king, and so a lot of the guys, that, and men and women that wrote these commentaries said, well, that would make sense because after, after the exile, there was no king in Israel. Now, after all that study, many of the commentaries said, you know, but it really doesn't matter when it was written. I'm like, thank you so much. All that dry reading, like no pictures at all. And <clears throat> for real. But it doesn't really matter because the uniqueness of this book, Joel is like a mobile book. You can pick it up and drop it into almost any time in Israel's history. And, it, and it's a unique book in the sense that the content of this book can be applied to any time that the people of God have wandered. Any time that crisis has come and any time that God is addressing his people over their wandering. And, and in all the minor prophets, God reveals to us something of his character. Uh, two weekends ago, JT kicked it off, did an excellent job setting up the series. He talked about Hosea, the minor prophet Hosea. 
And in that book, God revealed himself as our husband. And if you didn't hear that, make sure you grab a copy on the info counter. It was, uh, it was uh, very, very uh, well done. Last weekend, Vicky, didn't Vicky do a great job? Her first time preaching. She, uh, Vicky looked at Jonah, and in Jonah, God revealed his heart, his, his heart of love uh, and mercy for the foreigner. And then uh, this morning, as we look at Joel, and this is in your notes, God, uh, in Joel, God reveals his father's heart towards us, towards his kids. And uh, let me read a passage out of Hebrews 12. And really, this passage uh, is like the backdrop of the book of Joel. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 5 says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. So it's important to have, keep that text in mind as we go through Joel, because in Joel, God reveals his father's heart towards us. God reveals his love for us through discipline. And as we read in Joel, what you're gonna see is uh, Joel is like a, a very intense book. And in really, it, it's quite a severe book. And, and, it's, and it's severe and it's intense for a reason. Because God, Father God, is really, he's coming after his kids because they're in a real dangerous place. His kids have wandered a long way from safety and, and that, I think, is why there's so much intensity. And, and sort of the picture I get is, it's like the people of God are like a river. And, and they've, they've washed over the shores of God's control. And they are like a river that's just running amok. Everyone's just sort of doing whatever they want to do. And, and, and water is a beautiful thing. Water is a life-giving, you know, powerful resource when it's controlled. But when water runs amok, water can be very destructive and I, got, I discovered this firsthand. Monday night, we had the big storm, uh, you know, uh, at least here in Sunbury, we had a lot of rain, and uh, I didn't notice, because I was watching hockey, I didn't notice that my sump pump decided to take a break Monday night. So in the wee hours of Tuesday morning, I went downstairs to discover, whoosh, slosh, slosh, our basement flooded. And uh, I got to discover firsthand that when water washes over its boundaries, it can be very uh, destructive. So what we're gonna see in Joel is that God, our Father, loves us so much that he will not let us run amok. That he will uh, uh, do whatever it takes to get us back to that, uh, that safe place of living our lives you know, between the shores of, of, of his ways, Right, living lives of obedience and submission to what, what he says is how we should live, to that safe place. So let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into Joel. Lord, I thank you for, uh, I thank you that today is not just another Sunday. Lord, I, I don't let us just uh, get into a routine. I pray today, I pray that you'd stir an expectation. I mean, even through the worship, just your presence among us, stirring up a hunger for you and an expectation that you are here and you love us. 
and you're a father who's coming close, and I just say, Father, just come have your way. You know everyone that's here. You know where we're at. You know what's going on. I pray that you would come close today, way beyond what I say. Just come and father us. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, we have them uh, at the front on the stage or in the back on the sound booth. Feel free to grab one. Uh, But turn in your Bible to Joel chapter one. Uh, And again, the scripture will be on the screens. But we're gonna uh, just set the stage. Uh, Joel one, we'll read one to four. Then we're gonna jump over to 14. But here's what it says. Joel one, verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. And then we'll jump to 14. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord, alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, it's like, it's so intense. I love how Joel just like, there's no, hey, uh, you know, there's sort of no warm up. He just goes right to it in this letter or in this book. So number one in your notes is this. Number one is the God who warns. The God who warns. And in in what I just read, and really it's a theme uh, in the book of Joel and and in many of the other minor prophets, there's this phrase, uh, the day of the Lord. And basically what that phrase means is the day of the Lord is the day when the Lord comes to judge. When God comes to judge his enemies, and in the mind of, of the Old Testament Jew, of a Jew at this time, they, they saw the day of the Lord as the time when God would come and judge their enemies. When God would come and set things right in the world, when he would you know, reestablish uh, Israel as the primary nation on the planet. Because after all, they're God's chosen people. And, and, and Joel like, just hits the ground running right from verse one. And, and what he says basically is, uh, actually you guys, speaking to the people of Israel, actually God's coming to judge you. In chapter three, he does judge their enemies too. But primarily, he's coming to judge you. And, and most of chapter one is a prophetic response to a natural disaster that had happened. In the, in the nation of Israel. And you can see it's, it's a locust plague where locusts have come and, you know, in locust swarms, I did some research, locust swarms can be like 400 square miles with millions of, of locusts in each square mile. I mean, it's pretty, pretty mind-boggling. And, and, you know, I learned this. A, a, a locust can eat its body weight in plants every day. So you imagine when you have millions and millions and millions of locusts, they do a lot of destruction. And so Joel is, is pointing to, to, that pla- to the, the, the plague of the locusts and to the destruction. The, you know, the crops are non-existent. It's just wiped. Everything is wiped out. Everything is gone. And Joel is pointing at that, all the destruction. He's saying to the people of Israel, hey, wake up. Wake up, right? What you're seeing, this plague, what you guys are seeing and all this destruction, this is a warning from God. 
He's warning you. You need to change your ways. Uh, uh, you need to stop the way you're going. You need to turn around or things are going to get worse. And, and really what he's saying is what, you, what you're seeing in this, all this destruction, it's like a divine shot over the bow. Right? God is trying to get their attention. God is, God is warning them. And now, you know, for the people of Israel, this, this probably didn't surprise them. And I, I don't know if that's the right choice of words, but I've said it. Uh, but because they would have been taught, I mean, God's response to their wandering, they would have been taught the first five books of the Old Testament, like the books, the books of the book of the law. And, and they would have been taught about God's covenant with his people, right? The agreement God made with the people of Israel. And, and here's uh, Moses uh, teaching the people the covenant. This is De- Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Moses says to the people, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then it goes on to list a whole bunch of of blessings. Then jump down to 15, it says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then it lists all these curses. And I'm gonna draw one out. And verse 38 says, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. And now in Joel, again, it's, this is sort of unique. Joel doesn't specifically say the sin of the people. Right, they, you know, they were bowing down to these idols or they were mistreating the foreign or whatever. It doesn't specifically say. All we know is that they were rebelling against God and what we see in Joel is that God is warning them and he is dis- disciplining them through crisis. And it's important to know that, that uh, uh, God, you know, when God says no to us, when God disciplines us, it's important to know that God's no is not a sign, that God's no is a sign of love, right? We need to remember, it's so important to remember that when God disciplines us, he's not, there's nothing in it that's mean. There's nothing in the heart of God when he disciplines his kids that's just, well, he's having a bad day and he's gonna take it out on someone. That's not in the heart of God. The text I read out out of Hebrews, God's discipline, God's no to us, is a sign of his love. It's a sign of his care for us. Because I mean, think of it as a parent, to always say yes to your child, to give your child whatever they want, that's not love. That's not love at all. I would say that's neglect as a parent. I would say that's a, that's a, a dangerous thing to do. And why is that dangerous? Well, because a child doesn't know what's good for them. A child doesn't know what's bad for them. A child lacks wisdom. A child lacks life experience. And one of the roles of a parent is to, to, you know, teach a child how to make good choices and how to uh, live healthy lives. And I remember uh, our older son, he was just over three years old, and and we had just moved into a a new house, uh, and we had a gas fireplace. First time we'd had a gas fireplace, and it had a, you know, the glass cover over it. And our son, when we would turn that fireplace on, he was fascinated by the fireplace. And he wanted to touch the glass. Well, obviously, you're gonna hurt yourself. And, and you know, he didn't know, he didn't know how dangerous it was to do that. 
All he knew was, man, that looks cool, and I want to get, uh, I want to get closer to that. So I, as his father, I warned him over and over, no, no, don't touch that. I, you know, I would fake like I touched it. Ow, you know, I try to, you know, charades uh, sounds like, ah, you know, it's like, but I, so I'm trying to, te- I would remove him from the room. I would put up barriers, you know, trying to, trying to get this across. But I remember one day, <clears throat> I, I don't know, I was doing dishes or something. And you know, as a parent where it's not so much the noise that concerns you as a parent, it's the non-noise, right? Because I was doing dishes and, and all of a sudden I thought, I stopped and I thought, Hey, it's really quiet all of a sudden. And as soon as I thought that, I heard, ah, I heard this scream. And I knew, I knew exactly. He somehow got by the electric fence and the Dobermans and he got to the, <laughs> Dobermans used to be the dog of choice, you know, that? But, but, uh, but he burnt himself. He, he got what he wanted. <laughs> he touched the fireplace and, and it saddened me. I mean, I love him. I didn't want him to sting his little hand. It saddened me that that happened, but you know what I saw in that was that sometimes we need to experience a safe level of crisis in order to learn because he never touched the fireplace again. Now, I wish I could say, and from then on, he obeyed everything his father said. (laughs) Well, I would be, uh, my nose would grow and hit the back wall, but uh, that is not the case. He's just like you and I is very much a human, but but it's through the crisis, it's through crisis that God gets our attention. It's when things sort of blow up that God leans into us and says, son, daughter, you need to listen to me. You need to trust. That is, you know, the saying goes, father really does, uh, really does know best. And, you know, when I say that, what I am not saying is that every uh, crisis that comes your way Right, or every crisis that comes to our nation, I am not saying that every one of those is the plan of God. And I'm not saying every, every crisis that comes your way or, is, God, is a warning from God. Because I don't think that's true. I don't think that's accurate. You know, I'm not saying, so you've been, you just got laid off from work. You just got diagnosed with a, with a serious illness or you just got served papers or, you know, for divorce or separation or, or, or you know, you've gone bankrupt or whatever is going on that's, that's really hard. I am not saying that. Hey, well, just rejoice. That's God's plan for you. I'm not saying that because I don't think we, we, we always know that. So, we, so I'm not saying it's God's will. I'm not saying it's God's warning. I am saying that God has allowed it but the thing that's interesting in Joel, I have great confidence to say that, that God brought this locust plague because Joel tells us that God did. But there's so many times in life where we don't know, but here's what we do know. One, that God has allowed it, but we also know that God is able to use crisis in our lives. And he wants to use crisis in our lives. And, it's, and what I mean is there is something wonderful about struggle that it brings us back to that place of seeing how we just can't do it on our own. It, it, it just exposes our weakness as human beings. It brings us back to that place of that reminder that, boy, do I need my father. It brings us back to a place of, of leaning into him and running to him and looking to him. And, and uh, listen to this verse from, uh, from the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And this so captures the, the struggle we have as human beings. It says, oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, 
O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Doesn't that capture our condition? I mean, we are so prone to wander. And many times God will use the crisis to, to turn us around, to bring us back to a place of safety. And, and so while I've been saying not all crisis is a warning, not all, you know, uh, sometimes the struggle in our lives is a warning from God. And, and uh, this morning there are some of us, some of us, where there's something going on in our lives and it's something that we're asking God to deliver us from and maybe it's been a long time you've been saying, you know, you've been, you've been praying about it and asking God to stop it and, and your sense is, boy, if you really loved me, you'd fix this. If you really loved me, you'd, you know, you'd take this away or stop this struggle and, and, and if you were honest, you'd say, it just seems like God's not listening and, and, if, and for those few that, that, you know, that God may be trying to get your attention, I... Let me challenge you with this. Could it be that, that, that maybe you're the one who's not listening? Could it be that, uh, that God really is trying to get your attention? He's warning you. Could it be that he sees something in your life as your father? He sees something in your life as his child who has limited understanding, who has limited uh, perspective. Could it be that there's something in your life that your father is going, if you keep down that path, you're gonna burn your hand. You're gonna, you know, you're, you're walking to a burning fireplace. And I just wanna challenge you, and, and I, you know, I trust that God would be pounding on your heart right now if that's you, but for some, I just, I, I, I would challenge you to embrace the possibility and to start a conversation with God, like, oh, well, God is, are you trying to warn me? And just ask him, ask him. Like, is this, is this what's going on, this crisis, a warning from you? So number one is God is a God, the God who warns. Number two is the God who pursues. And in chapter two, uh, Joel talks about another advancing army. And again, we see this uh, prophetic poetry. And in chapter two, there's, there's another army that's coming and, and, and it is confusing. Like, is it another army of locusts or is it actually an army of, of you know, men coming to scale the walls? And, and again, you know, in all these different commentaries, they weren't in agreement, you know, what it was. And, and here's, as I thought about it this week, I think what we see in chapter two, again, with the, uh, in the context or the background of this is a father disciplining his children, I think what we see in chapter two where Joel is pointing to another army is uh, a ramping up of God's discipline. And what I mean is it's like as long as, as long as his kids refuse to turn from their sinful ways, he's doing whatever it takes to get their attention. And, and again, in parenting, this, this happens a lot. And what I mean is, you know, you, a child's doing something, you want him to stop. Hey, Tommy, you're gonna have to have a timeout. Tommy, you're gonna stop what you're doing? No. Okay, we're gonna have to take it up a notch. Tommy, you're gonna lose a privilege. And then he loses a privilege. You're gonna stop what you're doing, Tommy? No. Well, we're taking it up a notch. Tommy, you're gonna have to listen to Barry Manilow all day, right? <laughs> like, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop. But, but, what we're, but what we see in chapter two is God is ramping up uh, his discipline and here's where we see his pursuit. So Joel 2 verse 11 says this. And this here's this you know, strong language. It says, the Lord thunders at the head of his army his forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? 
Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Now, uh, when I read that, and again, in the context of God's pursuit, and it's just this intense pursuit, I remember seeing a bumper sticker once where it said, Jesus is coming, look busy. And, you know, and when I look at that, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, there is a great intensity, right? The Lord thunders at the head of his army, you know, the day of the Lord is dreadful, and the picture I get is this, you know, it's, 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 it's like a, an action thriller. You just have this sense of this, this uh, angry being coming towards us. Because the Lord thunders. Like, again, it's the language that I see. And, I, and it's like, so if God's pursuing us, how is God pursuing us? Like, again, he's our father. Is he pursuing us with sort of like, why you? Is that his pursuit? Is that what drives his pursuit? Like, when I get my hands on you, is that, is that the way he is pursuing us? And, or is it, uh, and really, I think this is where the intensity comes from. The intensity is, if I was in the room and I saw my son walking towards that fireplace, I think I would turn into the flash. I would, I would get across that room so quickly. Because the, in, the, in the heart of a sinful father, I don't want my child to, to hurt himself. And I think the intensity we see in Joel, the Lord thundering at the head of his army, the Lord just coming with passion, is like a papa bear who, who's looking and seeing his child on the edge of a cliff and sees the danger that that child doesn't see. And he's coming with great passion. And, you know, I know, uh, uh, I think this is where many of us struggle. I think this is where in a relationship with God as our father, many of us struggle with, with the, even the words discipline and even the word father. And, and, and especially when you talk about the father's coming for you. I think for some of us, that stirs some hard memories. I remember I grew up in a real small town and one of my buddies, uh, uh, his name was, uh, well, his name is, I believe, Trevor Dahl. Uh, his name uh, was, is Trevor Dahl. And we would always, you know, we, we lived in the same neighborhood and we would play together. And, you know, I remember many times, and we were, you know, this is, before, I think we would have been like eight through 12, and we were always getting into trouble. And uh, it was my brother and I and Trevor and a couple other guys. And we would always, we were pretty smart then, we would always make sure the damage was done at Trevor's house. Like, you don't do it, at your, you don't do it in your own, uh, you know, your own space. And, but you know what I remember? I was thinking about it. I remember so many times when, you know, we would, we'd get into some trouble. So many times, the, the, our playtime would end with his mother coming out on the porch and seeing what we've done, what we burnt or blown up or whatever we did. And she would say these words, Trevor, you're going to get it when your father comes home. And... You know, I was, I was thinking about that this week. <clears throat> and I thought, and, and he did. And he did get it when his father got home. And I mean, he really got it. And I thought, what did that, you know, build into Trevor's heart about his father? And at the thought of dad's coming home, instead of, all right, dad's coming home. It's, oh no, dad's coming home. And I'm sure it would be, you better hide, Trevor. You, you, know, you better be invisible. And, 
I know for a lot of us, the, the, the image of father is, a, is maybe not a good one. It's a hard one. It's a painful one. And, and, and it's something that, for many, just constantly gets in the way of, of the father and of really enjoying the relationship that God has offered to us. And oh, what amazes me, Joel, okay, I'm good now. What amazes me in Joel is how, what I read is how it goes from an action thriller to a Hallmark movie, all in the same little section. And what I mean is there's this incredible intensity. God's coming for us. And then what he says to his people is he, is he says, I'm coming, with, I'm coming hard and I'm coming fast, but, but know that this is the kind of heart I'm coming towards you with. And he says to his people, uh, my heart towards you as I'm pursuing you is gracious and compassionate. The heart that I'm pursuing you with is slow to anger. I'm not a father that you need to be nervous around. I'm not a father that you need to, you know, uh, uh, be shy away from. I don't fly off the handle, right? When I pursue you, you can relax. When I pursue you, you don't have to run. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I'm not coming to hurt you. I'm not coming to humiliate you. I'm coming to restore you. I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to, uh, uh, to heal you. That's his heart. That's the, that's the heart of God as he is thundering towards us. And, you know, and in that pursuit, he, it's amazing. You know, again, in that language, he shares his heart and then he says to his children, and really, this is why he's coming. He's going, I'm coming to you because I want you to return to me. I want you to come back to me. I want you to come back to that safe place. And, and, and he's saying, you've forgotten who I am. That's what caused your wandering. You've forgotten how good of a father I am. You've forgotten of the incredible love I have towards you. John, uh, 1 John 4, 17, this is from the message. It says, uh, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, Love has the run of the house, uh, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not, not yet fully formed in love. And you know, I know... Uh, you know, this side of heaven, the reality of our relationship with God is it really is uh, a, a relationship of a parent with a child. Because no matter, matter how old you, you get, you're always a little boy and a little girl before God. And so our relationship, I mean, really, it's a constant relationship, just like any parent is, you're constantly correcting your children. You're constantly, you know, disciplining them because you love them because you want to keep them safe. And, that's, and one of the dangers is when we, when we see the discipline of God as a fearful thing, I think it really, it, well, I don't think, it stunts our growth. It gets in the way of our growth and our healing and, and what God wants to do, and really it's the heart of what we see in Joel, God's plan for all of us, this rescuing plan that takes a lifetime 
is that through his perfect love, this heart that I talked about, he wants to uh, pursue us and heal us and bring you and I more to a place where if you got a text saying dad's coming home, it would be all right. Dad's coming home. That it would remove, that God wants to remove the fear with his love. He wants to... uh, 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 Bring us to a place where the thought of God coming to discipline us is a good thing. Because we know if, if, he's, if he's correcting, if he's course correcting, it's only for our best. So what do I have to worry about? So Joel goes on then to say, or, or God says in Joel, that he wants us to return to him. He wants us to come back to him. And in verse, uh, Joel 2 verse 12 says this, it says, even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. And, and, and so the question then is, well, how do we return to God? How do we turn back to him? And you know that phrase there of rend your hearts, I mean, that rend is not a word we use a lot. And basically what it's saying is tear your hearts and not just your garments. Well, what does that mean, Joel? Why would you say that? Well, again, in, within the, 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 the religious, the, the Jewish religion that to to, to rend your clothes or tear your clothes would have been a public sign. It would have been something you do in public, a public sign of showing your great humility and repentance towards God. But one of the dangers for us as human beings is that we can do things on the outside, we can do religious things on the outside while our hearts are miles away. And so that's why God is saying, basically he's saying, hey, I'm getting real with you. You need to get real with me. And and, uh, and getting real with God, getting real with God basically means this. It means that you recognize and admit that you are lost, that you've gotten off base. And then it's when we, getting real is when you recognize and admit that only God can save you. And, and let's, we're gonna roll on, Josh. Uh, jo- uh, Joel 2.32 says this, and this is where God saves us, or how God saves us. Joel 2.32 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do we return to God? I love this about God, that it just, it's just a turning to him and calling on him. Daddy, help. Help, I'm lost. Help, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got in so deep. But help, and if, you know, if you're here today and you, you've never started a relationship with God, I mean, that really is all it takes to start a relationship with God. It's just to recognize how lost you are and to recognize, well, obviously, me driving is, we keep crashing. And it's, and it's just calling out to God, God, save me. God, help me. I need you. I can't do it on my own. That's, that's all it takes to start a relationship with God or you've wandered You've wandered from him. All it takes to, to get right back close to him is just to call on him. God, help. You don't have to earn your way back. You don't have to work your way back. And let's, I want to wrap up here. So number three is the God who restores. And Joel 2, 25 to 26 says this. It says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust, locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full and you, and, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. You know, as we return to him, as we call out to God to be saved, uh, 
he doesn't just forgive us. And, and I'm going somewhere with this. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just say, you've owned it. I forgive you. Now you're on your way. That's not where his, his saving work stops. He doesn't just forgive. God also addresses our brokenness and the damage done by our wandering. God also starts this sanctifying, you know, changing work and going after the stuff that got us lost in the first place. Working on healing the things that, that got us off base, uh, repaying us for the years. Your Bible might say restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. That's, you know, God's restoration work in our lives is, I think, is so much bigger than we realize. We think he's just, you know, sort of sprucing up the entranceway of our lives and he's like, he's coming in, tool belt, more power tools than you could ever imagine. He's like, no, I'm, I'm redoing the whole thing. I want to restore you. And, you know, whenever I think of that and just how God, his restoring work, how he, he takes the mess that we have made and he makes it something beautiful again. Whenever I think of that, I always go back to the story of the prodigal son. That is like my favorite story in the Bible. I think every other time I preach, I'm going to talk about the prodigal son. And, and it, because it's such a beautiful story, and it's, it's because it shows such a beautiful picture of what God the Father is like. And you know, and, and you know that you're familiar with the story. If you're not familiar with the story, it's basically a son who is totally blown it, totally wronged his father, and uh, uh, makes a mess of it, and comes to a point of you know coming to his sense and senses, and he goes back to his father to seek his father's existence. But because of his great shame, because he knows I've blown it royally, and because he really doesn't know how much his father loves him. His plan is this. Basically, he comes back to his father and he says, forgive me, father, because uh, I have so wronged you and I know I'm no longer worthy to be your son. So all I'm asking is, can I at least, you know, live on the fringes of your house? Can I come back as a slave? Can I come back and work as a slave? And you know, as I picture that, I just imagine the other servants looking on at this and they're probably going, yeah, that's probably a fair deal. That's probably, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, that, that doesn't seem unfair. But the father, and you know the story, the father would have none of that. He doesn't just forgive. What does he do? He does forgive. Son, I do forgive you. But then he fully restores everything. His position as his son, his, you know, all the blessings of living in his father's house, his, you know, his protection, his provision, his guidance, on and on and on. He fully restores this wayward son back to where he was and more. And I know for many of us, uh, we live like we're forgiven by God. But like the son in the story, we still live like we haven't been restored. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, I think of uh, what's your experience with, you know, with, and again, there's a real theme of father, obviously. And, but was, did you have to earn your way back into his good books? Did you get the silent treatment for a while till, till like, you know, he'd forgotten about it? Did you, uh, or was it pulled out and held over you at just the right time? Yeah, but remember when you did this. You know what, and, and I think that, again, it, it, it's hard for us. We can read this, we can see just the incredible extent of God's love, and we know it up here, but we struggle to get it in here. And it's not the joy of our salvation. For many of us, it's the stress of our salvation. It's the striving of our salvation. It's the question of, am, am, am I in his good books? Or am I not in his good books? 
And, you know, God is so smart and that he really gets you and he really gets me. And he knows the the incredible power that guilt and shame and unworthiness has over the human heart. And, And he knows that it makes it hard for us to believe that he could, that this could really be true. That God could be that incredibly generous and gracious towards us. And so another part of this restoration, you know, he doesn't, he restores our position and all that we saw in the prodigal son, but, but it's even greater than that. In Joel 2, 28, he says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And really what God is saying is, you know, I could give you all kinds of things to, to restore you. And, uh, but the best thing that I can give you to fully restore you is me. I give you me. That God says, and this is such a mystery to me, but God says, I want to come and I want to take up residence in you. And, 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 and one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, who, you know, God living within us, is that he constantly reminds us that we have not only been forgiven, but that we have been fully restored to, to sonship, to daughtership. Romans 8.15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. By him we cry, Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit in you and in me that, in, that helps us get over that hurdle of unbelief and unworthiness and shame to where he's, he's constantly speaking to us, constantly shouting to us, you're his boy, you're his girl. He loves you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hide from him. He loves you. And, he, and, and we need that, don't we? We need to have that constant reminder because, this, because unworthiness and shame and guilt and all that stuff is really strong. And then add to that, we have an accuser who is constantly saying to you and to me, no, you're not. You don't deserve it. Look what you did. I mean, on and on and on and on. And the Holy Spirit rises up and says, yes, you are. You're his boy. You're his girl. He loves you. You have been fully restored. So, what we see in Joel is that is the God who warns, the God who pursues, the God who restores, and it, it is all motivated by an incredible Father's love to, to rescue and, 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 and heal us. So why don't we stand up? Let's just quiet ourselves for a little bit here. So Father, I pray, I know that that, I mean, I can even feel it inside that this can be a bit of an intense or heavy talk or maybe hard for some. And I ask, Father, that you would come right now. Just that you would uh, fill the room with your Father's love. And I thank you that your perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
That is not your heart towards us. So we just welcome you. Come father us right now. Come, Lord. You know, just uh, just some thoughts that I. Uh, and this is like an obvious, but if and I know, you know, if if it's if it's hard for you to just see God as your Father, if that's just something you trip over, well, just we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would heal uh, just that shattered image uh, that you have. Um, I know, uh, I also had a thought that for some, uh, that there may be some parents here today that you struggle uh, in disciplining your kids. You struggle with anger. And uh, I just, if that's you, I also want to invite you forward because God wants to come and meet you in that place and, and heal something in you and teach you how to discipline the way that he disciplines. I also mentioned, you know, just to call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And if, and if you're here today and you're like, you know, I've never really started a relationship with Jesus. I would, you know, as people come forward, I just welcome you to join them and someone would pray with you and, and they'll just lead you through a prayer where you can just call on him and really just say, God, I need you. And that's what it's like to start a relationship with him. And then it, but then it means just let him, let him start fathering you. And we'd love to share with you what that looks like. And um, Andrew, do you want to share what you... That on? Yeah, there we go. I had a word um, too last night, and I think it might apply to a few people today as well. Um, you know, as Mike was sharing about how some of us have, have had earthly fathers that really brought a lot of fear and uh, abuse and trouble in our lives, I felt like there was a few people here today who's actually your mother. It was actually your mother who was more of the one that had a really harsh negative impact on you that your mother's words were just like daggers to your heart. And her criticism of you and the way she scolded you and looked at you and, and held things over you, that it was actually her that really caused a lot of wounding. And maybe your dad or your father was actually kind of passive and just kind of stayed out of it all. And you just longed for your dad to, in a loving way, say, enough, enough. That's my daughter. That's my son. Enough. And I felt like God wants to do that today as our fathers, just to say, enough, enough. No, no, no. That's not how I see you. And he wants to come around and heal some of those wounds that maybe, um, you know, your mother unintentionally put on you. So if that's you, I would encourage you to come get prayer for that as well. Let me just add one more to that. If, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, a crisis that's come your way. If you're in a hard place, uh, whether you're questioning God, is this a warning, is this you, or if you're just in a hard place, it could be physically, it could be financially, it could be on and on and on. We'd love to pray for you because God, what is his heart towards you? He's pursuing you because he wants to help you. He wants to uh, you know, meet you in that place. So uh, 
Come on up. Naomi's going to lead us in a song. And I would just say, people who come up to pray, let's be sensitive and just really make lots of room for God to come and, and, and love on people. So uh, come on up as Naomi leads and, and we'll, we'll pray for some folks. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my soul. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my soul.
those that carry guilt and shame from things of the past that you would you would set us free that you would restore healing and wholeness to us I pray as we just get back into our routines that you would bother us Lord get it make us heal us to a place of being kids who just love uh, the thought of you coming close thank you for your presence and all that you're doing in Jesus name